Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast, where we help B2B founders take their companies from startups to scale-ups. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today's episode will go deep on how to connect and engage with your prospects and customers. Little Bird Marketing founder and CEO Priscilla McKinney joins the podcast to discuss digital transformation, marketing, branding, and basically anything else you need to know about growing your business. Priscilla gives her own take on what every founder should be doing now to scale their startup. This is a one-on-one course plus some 201 topics on how to grow your business in 2021. So tune in and grab these awesome digital marketing takeaways. And at the end of the episode, make sure you visit our website where you can find the show notes plus the links mentioned with Priscilla. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you subscribe so you're always the first to know when a new episode is released. Now, let's get on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Priscilla. Welcome to the podcast. Brett, thank you so much for having me. First of all, fangirl, love your podcast. <laughs> and likewise, thank you for thank you for joining us. Do I get to say longtime listener, first time interviewer E? <laughs> <laughs> you can, and you're the okay. first one that's done that. So I really appreciate it. And I don't know if I get considered long time now. We did hit a hundred and four episodes, so two full years of doing podcasts. So I guess yeah. that's considered a long time in this space, right? Uh, yes, it is. a It is a big deal. And it's so funny because I remember when I was listening to your number 100 and I thought, oh man, I remember when I hit 100 and it was so, it was just like such a cool thought, like to, to think back at that. And I think what I would say to your whole audience is guys, that's a lot of work, <laughs> <laughs> but I get to enjoy it. I and mean, it's one of these labors of love that when I think back, I know we're already off topic before we even get started, but <laughs> like episode, just hitting record on episode one probably took me six weeks, Yeah, right? I had yeah. it lined up. I know everything needs to be perfect, but now, man, I just get a chance to, to talk to folks like you and have conversations and, mm-hmm. you know, learning is power. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, I'm excited to do this and enjoy doing it. So yeah. that's why I appreciate having you on and we're going to learn all thing, digital transformation, digital marketing, branding, everything that a founder needs to know to, to, to grow their business in this new world. But before we go too deep, too fast, why don't you give the audience just a little bit on your background and your company, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Priscilla McKinney. You can find me on LinkedIn. Believe me, I will answer you. So <laughs> be sure to, to ask for me. But Little Bird Marketing, we really started with this idea that clients, our clients that we wanted to have, wanted to have a very dynamic and intimate relationship with their clients. And so this idea of uh, Little Bird Marketing is when you start with good news, you typically say, a little birdie told me. And to me, that really smacks of this idea of being on the inside and being listened to and being considered value. And so we attract clients who really hone in. They know they're very focused on who their most ideal client is and they're serving them like with gusto. You know, they're just saying, what do you need? How can we help at every turn? So as it's evolved, obviously we've, we've, we've carved out a niche for ourselves and we are an award-winning digital agency. We serve revenue-minded leaders and our strategic approach really turns marketing chaos into clarity. So we do license our proprietary content system called SOAR, S-O-A-R. We also craft high impact visuals. We digitally transform marketing actions and we get them in alignment with 
brand goals. So my purpose as the CEO here is to make sure that our clients sleep at night because they know that right message is getting in front of the right audience at the right time. And that result is actually delivering brand awareness and social influence, which at the end of the day has to be generating revenue growth, 100%. Yeah. And that's and that's what I love about you. And yes, on LinkedIn, connect with her on LinkedIn, follow her content on LinkedIn. She's a lot of fun and informative. <laughs> that's the only way to be, Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> we'll engage with you whether you think she will or not. So yes. so many places we can dig into that. And I do want to get into SOAR, but let's mm-hmm. maybe take a step back as and kind of set the context. So we, if our audience is looking at, hey, right now we're probably mostly founder-led, but we're looking to grow to that 10 million in revenue mark. And what we're doing today isn't going to help us, or you can't do it at scale to get to, to the 10 million. Mm-hmm. So I love that line of cutting through the chaos and getting some clarity because there's so much noise in digital marketing right now. So mm-hmm. maybe at a high level, let's kind of talk about how a founder should start to think about this and then you can dig into to some of the strategies. Well, the reason I'm so excited to be on your podcast is the the statements you make all the time. I, I hear you say it over and over again in different episodes. We know that only, you say it best, only 10% of businesses get past a million and only 1% of businesses get past 10, right? Exactly. <laughs> this is exactly. the dilemma, right? So <laughs> let's start with your premise, which I completely feel like is a very strong and sobering statement. Like these are just the facts. So you mentioned, yes, it's a noisy market. Everybody and their brother can tell you their advice about what to do in marketing. There is no end of, you should do this, try this. We did this one day here, but it, you know, and it just goes on and on, but there's not a lot of systems that bring it all together and give for the business owner a more clear cut path toward growth. And you and I both know that organic growth is incredibly hard and it is growing increasingly hard because so many things are digital right? I mean, we just are absolutely living in a digital world. But I feel like it's two problems. And we can talk about this whichever way we want to go. But I do think it is the noise that's out there, right? So getting the attention of the right audience at that right time with that right message. But there's also another issue going on at businesses, and that is about bandwidth. And maybe we should say bandwidth slash expertise, right? So maybe their brand is fantastic and they're not getting heard above the noise, but also maybe they do know what to do, but they don't have the expertise on staff or they don't have the bandwidth if they do have the expertise to actually get it done. And so Little Bird solves one of those two problems or a mix inside of it. It it is just very hard to grow. It is. And yeah, it's funny. I've gone... I used to joke 360. I'm like, well, that's all the way around. So 180 on <laughs> organic and value-added content. And it mm-hmm. used to be, man, that's nice to have, but now it's it's need to have. I mean, the more people I interview, the more folks I talk to, it's it's the price of, of doing business these days. Mm-hmm. If you want to be found, because to your point, everything is moving digital. And if you want to connect with folks that don't know you and your brand, how else are they mm-hmm. going to find you other than than digital? A hundred percent. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of my my clients, uh, Sarah Kava over at Fieldwork. I just got off the phone with her and literally they, they have been with us for six years or so. And literally she just said to me, oh my gosh, some days I think I, I wake up and I'm just like, what if we had not started down this organic content journey when we did? 
we would be hosed, you know, and I, maybe that's okay. That's not exactly the word she said. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's this recognition that, that it is a long game. It's an important game. And yeah, you know, we've obviously been very busy in this last year through the pandemic because finally that was the thing that made some people go, oh, it's a digital world. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, right. <laughs> hey, that's not new to the pandemic. You know this, I know this. It was always there. And this digital prowess is not a thing of the future. It's not even a thing of the present. It is a thing of the past. And now mm -hmm. if you're just starting, you are going to have to catch up. Yeah, so true. And I think I hear, well, B2B is different. I'm like, no, it's not. Not anymore. It, again, you used to be able to power your way through with outside sales and just mm -hmm. pure cold calling. But I wouldn't bet a strategy on that today of any company. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And, you know, I will say, you know, I love your stats that you give, Brett, so I'll give you a few back. But the B2B buyer today is 57% of the way through their buyer's journey before your company is even contacted. And the other piece about that is 96% of B2B buyers want to deal with the lead thought leader in the industry and when they make a purchase. And to make matters worse, they're doing their own recognizance, they're doing their own research. Guess how? Google, right? With these thumbs. Yep. And they're going out and they are reading an average of 14 pieces of content before they even choose who would be along in the journey to help them define the requirements for what they're purchasing. So I guess my question to people is, how many of those 14 pieces of content belong to your company, belong to your brand, belong inside of your thought leadership and expertise? Those are some pretty sobering facts as well. Yeah, they really are. And again, I think as we start transitioning and you're growing a company, I mean, I, one, I'm super excited about the opportunity for startups and even mid cap companies in the B2B space, because if they get this right... It's a huge competitive advantage because these bigger companies are going to struggle to turn the corner. They've got some other advantages, but you know we mm -hmm. can save that for another day. And also to your point, I had uh, Norman Crowley on here. He's a, an entrepreneur out of Ireland, and this is his third. He's now in climate change. And I had asked him, like, what's the biggest change in growing a company in the last, call it five years, right? We started with 10, but I'm like, I know it's changing in five. He's like, I used to be able to hire a superstar sales rep or two that could sell the product, could talk about the value. We're, we're good in the boardroom, et cetera. He's like, now instead of salespeople, I've got 30 content people on my team and we've broken our sales process into micro processes to help facilitate as, as people are going through that journey. So there's one, a person who built a business one way is realize the power and the value of, of the content. So, yeah. right. I, like, yeah, you know, Brett, it's not just that the value is in the content. I think this is what you would agree with me is that it, the fact is that the buyer's in control. Yes. 100%. <laughs> they have the power, accept it, right? You're not going to change that. And, and the other thing too, that, so when I look at it from a kind of the more macro that you got to get your messaging, right? And I know you guys spend a lot of time with that because you got to get, again, I'm a super simple guy. You've heard enough of me. I like to break it into simple things is who are you serving? What are you serving to those customers? And what, and why are you serving? What's the why of your company? And a lot of times, most companies don't get the why. And frankly, they get, you know, the what <laughs> and the who kind of misaligned. So if you can't even get that right, it's hard hard to even go past go, as I'd say. So, man, I'd love to get your thoughts just on getting the branding and alignment and 
there'll be another question on branding, but I'll hold that thought until. Okay. <laughs> well, I do think it all goes together though, because it doesn't matter what the message or the branding of things, because really an image or a photo or a logo or a choice of color palette, they are the same thing as choosing the content. In the, in the content, it's voicing, it's keywords. It's, they're all, they're all kind of, they're all wrapped up into the same thing. And I think the key is where you say that you, know, you got to know the why of your company. I would agree. And I would add, and you've got to know the why of the buyer, right? And so, for example, companies come to me and they they usually start by saying, okay, well, this is, this is who we are. This is our key differentiator. we got to get that out in the market. And I'm like, maybe I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but before we hone in on that key differentiator and we really need to hone in on the first point that you talked about, which is who do you serve? And what is their why? So that we can fine tune the logo, the look and feel, the name, the, the, the color palette, the, the content, the SEO, all those things around what is important to that buyer. Why should they care? Why do they need you? And how can you make their life better right now? So for me, that that's the S in our, our SOAR system. It's the strategy. And it starts okay. with really, really solid persona development work to say, before you write a word, you have to know the audience and people kind of tend to say, well, I'm just going to jump in and I'll do social media because it's free. That's usually the first thing. It's like, Hey, yeah. you know, my, my niece can do our social. I'm like, okay, first of all, <laughs> your nephew uh-huh. cannot build your website and your niece cannot run your social media, right? These are actually the two most important things in a digital world, but they usually get relegated to the intern or the most recent hire. But right. it's kind of like Mark Twain said, you know, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one instead. And writing that short social media content is the hardest and most rewarding also thing out on the internet internet right now. And so I think it's about going where you're going to love your system there. And it's about integrating then the why of the buyer into that system before you finish carving that message out. Yeah, that's so good. And so true. I'm just curious from your perspective, obviously the clients that are coming to you or have challenges with what they're trying to do, but just in a broad macro sense, how many companies in the B2B space do that part really well? (laughs) There's a lot of pressure on them to do it well now because there's not a lot to hide behind anymore with digital data. True. You know, when you used to have a high flyer salesperson, think back like Glengarry Glen Ross days, coffee coffee is for closers. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) These people, if they had the sales number, they could get away with murder, right? Yep. But and you, you didn't know where they were for lunch or you didn't know what exactly what their plans were next month or next week. You really had a hard time holding people accountable. If they made the numbers, then magically it just kind of worked, right? With digital now, there's just so much transparency. And when you, not everything has ROI, we know that, but there is so much more that can be directly tied to ROI. So when you look at a particular page on your website, for example, a page on your website should be bringing in as much as a salesperson does. So yeah. your website can't hide behind that. If it's not bringing people through a, a journey 
albeit it's not this streamlined funnel that doesn't exist anymore. It's like bounces all around and it's, sure. it can be very complicated. But if you're not serving that most ideal client and that website is not churning out the leads and then the revenue, there's nothing to hide behind. And that is goes the same for actual salespeople or even for CEOs who are selling. Like there's nothing that I can hide behind. We either have the numbers or we don't. And you can see my activity on my HubSpot CRM. I can see this is what I did. This is how it yield. I can go back and see right now. I can go back to one event of five years ago that has produced one speaking event with about 35 people in a room that has produced millions of dollars for me at this point. That's awesome. And so you can't, you, you understand how things connect in a way that we never did before. So I think that that's, that's the big shift is that people really can't hide behind, well, we'll just try that. Okay, try it. But now you know if it works or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's such good advice too, right? I mean, we used to talk about sales and marketing alignment. I'm like, well, man, if you're still talking about sales and marketing alignment, you've lost, right? This stage, <laughs> you're trying to fix that. There's the world's moved on. And, you know, yeah. I came from a sales background, but, you know, the way I used to think about, especially in bigger companies, sales was kind of the source of power and marketing had to serve what they were doing. But man, I think if, if I'm starting a company, I want to start with, and maybe not marketing is not even the right word anymore, demand generation, brand, whatever it is starts there. And then sales becomes kind of an execution arm of what you're trying to do, not the lead. Because if sales is your growth strategy, and I personally think you're, you're, you're in trouble. You can get yeah. some numbers, but man, it's going to be really hard to scale a business that way. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that. So let me ask you a question. So when people do come to you and talk about um, sales and marketing alignment and sales enablement, wh what's kind of your go-to? Like, where do you start that conversation or how do you start the line of questioning to figure out what's going on? Yeah, I try to flip it and think about it. As you said, the buyers have the power. I mean, I said, stop thinking about it as you're setting this up as sales enablement. Customer doesn't care about sales enablement. They don't care about marketing qualified. They don't care about anything. They care about, you know, for buyer enablement, right? Yeah. Which is starting to gain some traction, but it still mm -hmm. think it's still, people still think it's too siloed. But I think about mm -hmm. it if you at the the most at the highest level is how do we get our prospects through the pro their buying process as quickly and efficiently as possible mm -hmm. right it's not what i do it's not the metrics that i do but do i have the resources along the way to get them what they need it could be a you know sales engineer if it's a super complicated product to help them understand how these things work together is the content on the website tell the right story help you understand the the you know what problems you're solving cuz i still get the vast majority are well, here's our features and benefits. I'm like, again, <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> and <So>. scene. <laughs> right. Oh and and so it's really just to start thinking differently. And, you know, even when I was in management consulting, we ran a few workshops with some larger B2B customers and said, look, I don't care who does this today, but just think about the tasks that need to happen and what doesn't need to happen from a customer perspective. Later, we can come in and fill in what role does it. Harder to do at a big company, but if you can mm -hmm. set it up right and don't think about it as sales and marketing, and I know it's a little counter, right, contrarian to it, but at some point we're going to think about this. I mean, in B2C and direct to consumer, do you think, do you talk about sales and marketing? No. No. <laughs> right? It's no, growing your business. But I'm going to further your point there. You know, we, we joked around about uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and this always be closing ABC. And I say now we're in a world of ABH, always be helping. And yeah. so the anti-features and benefits really comes down to how do I help this person? And back to my original stat that the B2B 
buyers 57% of the way through their buying process. They're like, they're ready to make a decision before they've even come on your radar at your company. So the issue is, how do I insert myself earlier in the game? Because the people who are seen earlier and participating earlier are the people who get to help define the requirements for what the person is buying. And they're going to help define it. And then they're going to also be involved in, let's make a long list of what we need. Let's make a short list. Well, then my question to you is, are your people, whether to your point, it's an engineer, whether it's a salesperson, whether it's the CEO, whether it's a project manager, I don't care who it is. Are we, are we a part of that conversation far before they come into decision? Because if we only catch them at decision, we have a very low chance of closure. Yeah, that's such a good point. We don't talk about that nearly enough of helping them define and understand what their problem is, right? Most of the time they, they know they've got a problem, but they haven't thought about what it is, right? And right. if you've got multiple buyers and, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's a really good point. And that's why I still think sales skills won't necessarily go away, but I don't like to segment it into a marketing and a sales. It's, mm-hmm. I think, more of a the concierge approach, right? Said, hey, we're going to help you. And if you think about this a little bit differently, these are how other customers are doing it. I think one of the things I found a number of years ago, my last corporate role was our, because I did an informal survey of our best salespeople. We had outside sales, we had inside sales, and we had kind of telesales. And to a person, our top sales rep, those customers trusted those sales reps as a subject matter expert that can solve their problem. So they were that's that's all they cared about. It wasn't the selling or closing a deal. It was right. how they do it. And mm-hmm. so that kind of stuck with me as I began kind mm-hmm. of this transformational journey into, you know, how to grow a business these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. Let me reiterate something you said about the buyer team growing. That is also a, a point that I think does not get talked about enough. Gone are the days that you've got one contact at this company and then that's who you make the deal with. And that's actually incredibly short-sighted because guess what? Carlos at this company then quits. Right. And where's your process? You know, hopefully Carlos loves you so much that when he goes to the competitor, he brings you over there. But what can be said for where you were there? If you know Carlos at this company, you better know 10, 15, 20 of Carlos's colleagues because you're not going to be able to be in in um, considered in that buyer group that is used to be six to eight people. Now is 10 plus people involved in a complicated sale for B2B. And so this idea yeah. that it's this one-on-one old school network it's not like that anymore. And I'll I'll kind of end that thought that I have with the idea, which this is my mantra. This is the hill I'm going to die on. It's collaboration is the new competition. I'm writing a book right now that is completely centered around this. And if people need to get this mindset right, they need to completely switch gears and understand that you have to be collaborating with people right? And that includes collaborating with people on your team. It means collaborating with with, uh, vendors. It means collaborating with buyers. It means collaborating with your competition. You've got to be rethinking this entire structure because guess what? It's not a one-to-one person sale anymore. You don't get to have that coffee when you close. It's not that world. So like move out of it and really challenge your brain about your mindset, how you're thinking about who you're bringing into the conversations and how you're helping and how you're really putting the buyer first. <laughs> that's, right. that's really the ultimate thing that needs to happen. 
Yeah, that is so good. And I can't wait for that book to come out. What's the, what's the target date? Are we previewing it a little <laughs> too early or what are we thinking? No, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping April. We'll see, we'll, oh, okay. we'll see how we make it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's so right. Cool. It's just different way of thinking about the way we do things. And again, it's such an advantage if the smaller and more nimble you are at, the, at this right point. And maybe this is a good point to to pivot a, a little bit because we kind of talk about the alignment, the, the number of buyers, but the, the next biggest thing that I've come across, especially even founders that have crossed that, that 10 million threshold is it took us a while to figure it out. Right. So I'm like, cause I'd always ask what, 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 what was it about the 1 million? Why did you, why would you, she's like, or multiple founders were like, was it the 1 million? It was when I ran out of my network to sell to, mm-hmm. or we ran out as co-founders of our network and we now had to reach and connect with people that don't know us or the product. And what I found is either they figure it out and they become that 1% or they don't run out of money, get burned out, whatever it is, because you just don't have the economies of scale at at that million dollars. So I've heard you say that. I've heard you say that on your podcast a lot. And I've thought about it and I've kind of reflected on, on clients who've come to us. And actually what's interesting is we get called in many times by people who I would call the change makers. They're not the founders. In fact, my ideal client oh, is not the CEO of a company. That's that's That usually is going to go south if I'm talking to the CEO. <laughs> so I know who my ideal client persona is and I, I have a name for her and I have like, I know exactly what she needs and exactly what's going on. But I get called in from that person. And they are the people who are looking at the future of the revenue and saying, well, where is my place here in this company? Because we're going to have to move past the founders if I'm going to have a serious place here. And so what I find is that there's some companies who the founders go, yep, they are 100% correct. And um, we don't know what else to do and help us figure that out. And also, I don't want to be involved. They're going to figure it out. And I'm like, yes, this is my dream. (laughs) (laughs) But then they have some founders who are like, well, you know, it's just, you know, word of mouth and high quality referrals and all this kind of stuff. And to me, I think all of that is an excuse to say, I'm afraid to have this not be completely under the, my control or right. also not to be able to ascribe 100% of the success of this company solely to me. And I think that's pretty selfish. Because yeah. the people yeah. you have on your team right now, they don't want to be in the position that they are in three, five years from now. They want to have an elevated position. They want to rock the world. They want to push. If you got the right person, they want to push the company forward. They want to grow the revenue. And so you're going to have to think of systems that actually help those people really, really realize that dream. Yeah, that's so true, right? And I found a number of founders that may not be that CEO. They may be able to get you through that transition phase to the 10 million because that's still building kind of the foundation of the scalable growth. Beyond 10, that's that's a different universe of complexity and you know, good for you to get to that point. That's why I say, man, you get to 10, it opens up so many different channels, not just of funding and what you want to do, but profitability, flexibility. You're, you can't there's no way you're working in your business 100% if you're at 10 million in revenue, unless you're selling one product at 10 million. But but in general, you're now letting people do what they need to do to drive the business forward. And you know, so I still think that that connect with the new audience is the biggest hurdle, the biggest gap. And you know, one of the things I think for my personal growth as 20, 30 years in kind of that between enterprise and startup expanding my horizons to understand better ways to connect. It doesn't have to be with SDRs and BDRs. And, you know, I've sought some of the power of the content channel partners and a host of other things 
So I, I know it's different for each client, but I'd love to kind of get your perspective. Like, all right, we've got a good set of customers. We figured out who our buyer is. I mean, how do I think about connecting, right? Is it just Facebook paid ads? And I'm not putting you on the spot, but just in general, how do we think about the connect piece of that puzzle? Yeah, that's a good question. But no matter where it is, I always say the only place that you're pushing your content, your ads, your your podcast, your conference, you know, your keynote, I don't care what it is. The only place you should be putting marketing dollars behind that is where the eyeballs and the ears of your most ideal client is. And so that's what's different for everybody. Is it Facebook for someone? If that's where all of your your most ideal clients are, sure. I know that my most ideal clients are on LinkedIn. So that's where I'm going to really push. I know that my ideal client Google searches for what I do and the expertise that I have. So I better be very, very mindful of that. I do have some who are pretty heavy on Twitter. So for me, that's the top three. I got LinkedIn, my website and Twitter. That's where I've got to live. And that's not dictated by me. I like to tell audiences all the time, do you like Uber or do you like Lyft? I mean, Brett, which one do you prefer? I'm Uber was first, so it's the default, but I've, I like Lyft's story. So I've started using them more Cool, cool. <laughs> so so, back to their why. Right. So, right, right, right. I like that. So you, you've, you've carved out a preference and you know exactly why, but last time that you got into a Lyft, which I know through pandemic, maybe hasn't been very often lately, <laughs> but think back the way back machine back when we used to travel, when you got in, did you tell the driver, Hey, you know what? Take me anywhere you want to go. No, right. We don't do that. But surprise me. Right? Yeah, just surprise me. Just take me anywhere. We don't do that. But yet that's what people do with their marketing dollars all the time. So they will choose their preference based on their personal preference. Well, I'm really good on LinkedIn. So I'll go to LinkedIn or I love Facebook, you know, so they go to Facebook. I'm, I'm Instagram is so fun. It's like, so I don't care what you like. It does not matter. It matters what is meaningful and what your most ideal client likes. And then you go to that. So you you get rid of your preference. And then when you actually go there, you don't let, let's say I'm on LinkedIn. Now I don't let LinkedIn drive me. Guess what? LinkedIn is, wait for it, not a nonprofit. It's an advertising company, right? right. And they want yeah. me to do certain things because they want to earn more advertising dollars. But I need to be mindful when I and my people go out to LinkedIn, we need to be mindful of our goals and our message and our mission and our brand promise, because that's what we need to be focused on delivering out there, not doing more things that help LinkedIn sell more ads. Right. Right. So to me, it's those two pieces. It's like, forget about your preferences. And then also once you, once you do choose where your clients are, then make sure that you're using it for your purposes that is serving your most ideal client instead of going down the black hole of social media. (laughs) So you have to be very, very purposeful. Yeah. And that's such a good point. Cause I mean, guilty of myself. I'm like, well, I know what my customers are thinking. I'm like, do I really? Probably not. Right. I think (laughs) I can speak for everybody, but and once you learn you can't do that, it, it's a little more work, but yes. you know, the result is is going to pay off. And so all right, I'm going to hit you with another stat. And I think this okay. ties back to our connect and our longer journey. Is I think demand generation, I don't know if it's demandgen.com, or they publish something that at any given point, only 3% of your ideal buyer is in buy now mode, meaning needle in the haystack, you connect with that 3% and you've got a transaction. So I think that comes back to, hey, be where your customer is when they're ready for you. And I think that's a really difficult concept for a lot of companies, especially a sales rep or an SDR that's only compensated on demos and closed deals. So, you know, how do you recommend your clients to approach 
you kind of that instant gratification is great, but you're probably not going to win if that's your only strategy. So curious as to your advice to mm-hmm. clients on this topic. Yeah. Well, I think that we could start the whole problem from, I guess I'll ask you, Brett, are this weekend, you don't need a car, you don't need a new car or anything, but are you going to go to a used car lot just for kicks and giggles this weekend? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. And you're not going to, because guess what? You, like everybody else on this planet, don't like to be sold. Yes. We don't like that. And yet then we come into our offices and now we sell people and we get salesy. And it's just like, why? In your own human life, you don't even like that. So now you're doing that. And it's just like, we got to break that. But I think the the bigger piece of, of what you're asking is like, it, does it, what you're talking about is like that 3% that's in decision mode. Yeah. If you want to go salesy, you'll probably get that 3%. It's possible. You'll get a piece of it, but it's only 3%. You would be missing right. out on so much. And so, you know, where we said we start with S, which is the strategy, Part of that strategy is the persona development, but it also goes a step further to say, yes, but this most ideal client, they could be in any stage. They could be in an awareness stage, meaning they don't even know they have a problem. I don't mean awareness like, are they aware of Little Bird? No, not my brand awareness. Are they aware that they are suffering, right? And people come to this realization that they're suffering it, it very differently. These these have to be very much more fluffy pieces, um, more like bigger concept ideas, right? Where you just start engaging people. That's an awareness stage. Then people in consideration stage say, look, I know this is my problem. I know that we're not getting enough revenue, or I know we didn't get enough out of the last trade show, or I know that whatever it is, they've identified the problem, but they don't know what the solution is. They're like, yeah, but is it hiring the right people or is it investing in my website? Like they don't know. It's like, well, yeah. well what am I going to do about it? So in consideration, this is the time where you, again, get to insert your, your valuable team and your expertise before they hit that 57% where they've made their decision, right? So awareness and consideration happens way before decision. And so if I'm very focused and I have a lot of good marketing dollars being spent on, you know, awareness content and consideration content, then when they're ready to buy, guess what? I'm not just trying to get the 3%. I have nurtured hopefully 50% of the people who are possibly there because I brought them through awareness. I helped them understand what the, I helped clarify the problem. And then I helped give them different options, pros and cons. You think you think about some different blogs that could be written here, five ways you could address this problem, pros and cons of going in-house versus out-house. You know, it's just like all of these different pieces of content that you could do to address their need in that moment. And if you've addressed it way before decision, then guess what? You're not just going to the ball with a 3%. You're going right. to the ball with so many more. It's just, and also it's more sustainable. It's a more predictable lead generation system because you're not just hoping and hoping and waking up in the morning with fingers crossed that more people enter into the decision stage. Right. No, such a good point. And again, if you're in it for the long haul, especially if you want to scale, there's no no options with this. Maybe one more question. I'll be respectful of your time, but something I threw out on, on LinkedIn the other day was treat your customers like prospects and your prospects like customers because large companies, small companies, I don't care. They, I don't think they fully appreciate the value of their current customers and how that could be the start of your demand gen funnel for future business, right? What's more powerful, me saying my business is great and I can help you or your customer, I'm sure you've got some really strong customer advocates that help drive new business to you. So I'm just curious your perspective on kind of the Mm post-sale marketing, if you will, and, and how to kind of capture the value of those folks. Yeah, I, I, I do hope that people realize, especially when COVID hit, that 
the people who are more in touch, like we're willing to just pick up the phone and talk to their, their clients and get personal. There's so much benefit there, right? You have to constantly be taking care of them. And and I feel like how I wrap it up is the idea of the duty of care. If they're in my network, whether they're a prospect or the lead, I have the duty to take care of them. And I, that's why sometimes I don't accept people on LinkedIn or I don't go to a new conference or if I don't have enough bandwidth to care for more then I I'm careful about not doing that to your point about why growth can kind of be stifled over a founder, which is why you have to have multiple people, right? Okay, we can kind of digress (laughs) down that hole, but let me come back to this. Yeah, I do have clients who give me great ringing testimonials. Sasha McCune, this is my favorite one from Conifer Research. I asked her for a testimonial. This is the one I got back. This shit works. (laughs) I'm like, thank you, Sasha. I appreciate that one. (laughs) But um, to that point, I'd like to say I teach uh, cohorts in Teams social influence in the B2B realm. We have a 12-week course that goes basically what I would call couch potato to 5K, but for LinkedIn, right? And so the reason why I think this is so important is a lot of people get into these kinds of social influence things and like, shiny new, let's let's squirrel, let's chase it. You know, it's just like shiny new object syndrome. And they're like, this lead and this lead and this lead. I'm like, whoa, 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 where are your clients? Are you even connected with your current clients on LinkedIn? Have you been providing value to them every day, the way you write, the kinds of things you share? If you read something that's interesting in Forbes that relates to their client, did you send it on to you? Are you showing that kind of care? Because before you move on to that next lead, you better be in the home base really taking care of that. And I think the hugest missed opportunity is us not using our influence, our content, whatever it is to really keep loving and take that duty of care very seriously. Because if we take care of those core people, they will take care of us and it'll move out. I'm not saying don't prospect. I'm just saying don't prospect out of balance with the way that you're taking care of current customers. And one last point about that, kind of refer back to my story about this fabled Carlos at this job. So he leaves. Well, now he leaves. But like, again, if I haven't connected with all of Carlos's colleagues while he was there, now I've missed the opportunity of keeping that company and getting where Carlos goes new. So it's very short-sighted. And I think that's one of the biggest missed opportunities that people make as they're trying to expand. They get very excited about the expansion and forget to take care of home base. And I think as a strategist, Brett, and I know I've heard you say it, is this churn rate come on, you cannot grow. If you're growing and it's all leaving out the back door, you've got problems. Yeah. You got to work twice as hard. I I had a boss Mm -hmm. that used to say it's like holes in a boat, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) More holes you have, the more you're bailing the water out, the more you got to bring people in to just offset it. You're going to work twice as hard and you've got folks that really like it. And just to tie up on that point, I had, you know, Dan Fister was on podcast a while ago, but I just had him on with the one question with an expert talking about win back programs mm-hmm. and the power and how much easier it is to sell former clients. And it's just an afterthought for most companies. And I thought about for my my days, right? Because nobody owns the win back, right? You got new sales reps that only new business, you got customer success, maybe that's a relatively new term, account management means customer service. Nobody's there to there are people trying to stop them from leaving, but nobody's actively going out to recruit them. And it's just an opportunity and we kind of get sidelined a little bit, not just the, the dollar value of that, but the insights you learn of why they left and why they came back, right? We do win-loss analysis to say, hey, this is why I did nothing or I didn't go with you. But man, how powerful would that be to learn why they left you? And then two, oh, if you got yeah. them back, why they got you back. Mm-hmm. So 
I know we're really starting to go off topic a little bit. No, but I, and I'd, I'd ask you another question. Like when, when people do come to you for the strategy, like how soon do you deal with churn rate? Like when does that come up in that conversation for you? Almost immediately. Like how many customers yeah. do you have and what is your, you know, kind of touch point with them now? And again, I've told you I'm simple. So I'm like, it's all about buyer enablement. You sell them, then it's customer enablement. What are you doing to help them? unlock the value of your service or offering as they're going through it, not just think about them from a cross-sell, upsell, but are they truly using your product and getting value out of it? Because if you're putting the time in that, then it's just going to make so much more sense. And you know, kind of tying off on that, I've seen more startups, at least high growth, they're starting to get funding. Their first senior position now is customer success, right? I think I had Kathleen Marcel talking about, you know, their entire agency is focused on customer success. So Finally, I think people are starting to understand you've got them in-house, right? They're your greatest asset. You know, don't think of them as, hey, throw it over the fence. This group will take care of them. So mm -hmm. yeah, almost from day one, I would start with how do we serve those customers that we have and then build it backwards to, to the growth. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky enough to interview Ste Stephanie Robotham from Gainsight. Her boss, Nick Meta, which now Gainsight, they, they just sold this this year. I don't know. What was it like? six billion or yeah, something like that. I mean, it was just number. nuts, right? But anyway, her boss, Nick Meta, she talked with me an awful lot about how he talks very consistently about childlike joy and saying, you know, the customer process, it should be a delight and we should be honing in on that, that joy. And I know other people are going to be like, it's very Pollyanna. Great. I'd love to be a Pollyanna. That sounds great. Right. I love that kind of world where that did matter and people, people mattered. And I, I think that that is one of the beautiful things that is changing in the B2B world world. And I don't think that makes me uh, lame and soft. I think it makes me very in touch with what truly is the world that we want to live in. I want to create right. the world I want to live in. And so if I don't want to go to a used car lot and be sold over the weekend, guess what? I'm not going to treat anybody like that today. Then when I sit down and I write ad copy, I'm going to serve them. I'm not going to sell them. Yeah. So and So true. Because I think it's coming sooner rather than later where customer experience will be the differentiator, right? If you've got a great technology, somebody's going to copy that in three months. You don't have the competitive advantage you had before. So what are you doing, doing on the service side to put that moat around your business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I think I'd go to market with a, a founder and a company that provided excellent service and an average product versus somebody had a great product that just didn't care about, you know, the customers or the service. In the long run, I'll take you know, those service companies all day. So I'm hundred percent on your Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to win, right? We look at the glass half full or half empty. The pandemic caused a lot of pain and disrupted a ton of things, but I think it's creating opportunities to do more. I forget who said it and I'll be mad. And I'll probably hear from whoever I had on there, you know, humanizing the B2B business, right? People want to buy humans. They want to feel good about their purchases and where you could get away with a good product before, it's not going to be enough and it's not slowly changing anymore. It's here. Right. <laughs> so, so if you've got a competitor that's vastly better at the service and the experience piece, you're going to have a really hard time catching up. Yeah. Yeah. And also you, I know that you give a lot of strategy about um, acquisitions and how to move past just organic growth. And I think people should listen to a lot more of those key points. I know I do like when you do have a guest free podcast as well, <laughs> and you really go a little bit deeper into what's going on at a company and what are your options for growth. I think there are a lot of different ways to go, but just organic alone, like what you said, and just based on just this is what it is, 
that's that's just not going to cut it anymore. Right, right. Yeah. And I lived in the world of Facebook ads and Google search for a while. And guess who owns the margins in those? Not us. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a point to your point on this strategy and and an approach. And, you know, you may not get it right, but test it, measure it, right? Measure. Mm -hmm. If you're not measuring it, it's really hard to tell how impactful Mm -hmm. it is. So, well, Priscilla, I know we're running a little short on time and thank you so much for doing this. And we may have to do a part two because there's a lot of (laughs) other things I still didn't get in with you, but I think overall a ton of value. And I do want to highly encourage people to to go to your website, check out your podcast because you have a ton of really good content out there. But before I let you go, I do have to ask you the the one question I ask everybody that's, that's on the show is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? Well, it's interesting because I 100% would say social influence. And I know that for a lot of people, they still haven't changed their mindset enough about this. So when I say social influence, it automatically conjured up some weird ideas and it brought up the Kardashians. So let's just like (laughs) leave that alone. But I think to your point about really being able to serve the customer and about how companies stop growing because they can't move beyond certain networks. Guess what? Social influence is how you move beyond other networks. And social influence is something that everybody on the team can do. Guess what? Social media is ubiquitous. It's not another cost. It's not another software. There's no other training. This is stuff that people do in their day-to-day life. They have a profile set, right? So I now everybody will rush to the idea of, okay, employee advocacy, get everybody on your team pushing So our, our marketing message. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not right. saying... I'm going to say this one thing and I'm going to bark at everybody in the company to go share it. That does not work. People, please stop it. That is not advocacy. That is forced work camps. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But what what is advocacy is when a person, a professional teaches their people in their network and serves the people in the network, they build rapport. And with that rapport, what do they do? They can advocate for the the company and they can show that the, the company has a solution that is truly bent toward the good of the end customer. So for me, 100%, the thing that I'm focused on, the thing I would hire for, the thing I think every company should be focused on, is where are we in terms of social influence and digital transformation in the social media department? Because a lot of people would say, okay, well, marketing's for marketing people. Sales is for salespeople. That is gone. There are no lines now in between it. And I know that's really your message, right, that you've been teaching. And so that collaborative approach has to happen by first with us getting social influence as people, as individual professionals, and then using it for the good of advancing the company. And you cannot just think that the founder will do that or the founder and the salespeople will do that. No, the engineers can do it. The HR people can do it. The project managers, the frontline leadership, everybody can do it. And you, you've you seen it, these companies that just blow up and everybody want to work for them because right. the, the employees can't help but talk about them and how they treat them and how they, they treat their customers and they see behind the scenes. And you also know the the opposite, the companies that even the employees don't want to be at, right? right. <laughs> because you will not stop people from being social. I'm a cultural Accepted. anthropologist by trade. They are going to be social. That is not going to stop. The question is, are they going to use their social influence for the good of the company and for the good of their career? 
Yeah, that's such a good way. And you tie it all the way back to our one of our original points is the why, right? Because if the employees aren't buying into the why of the company, they're not going to be the ones promoting the why of the company. And so one last thought, I just I interviewed somebody that the podcast isn't live yet, Marty Sanchez, and he had coined the term the inbound CEO or the inbound founder, right? That the more founders like you, right, I interview and they're the lead of their company, but guess what? They're out in front of an introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. They're on podcasts talking about they're doing and why they're doing it. And it gets the, the employees rallying behind it. So again, that could be a whole episode in itself, but I thought you'd appreciate the the term and maybe he didn't coin it and he uses it, but it's the first time that I'd actually heard that. Yeah, I've never heard that. I do. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that as soon as it comes out. But yeah, I mean, we, we could talk forever, Brett. As it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, we'll, we'll get you back for a part two before for too long. We'll get the schedules lined up. But but again, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot. So I'm sure the audience learned a lot. And yeah, you're welcome back at any point. Well, I just thank you so much for having me, but also to your audience, I would just say, if you like this content, Brett takes a lot of time and effort and money to do this. And you should go review this podcast and you should actually be a subscriber and you should give him a rating because that's how people find this. And just from one podcast host to another, I know how much work this is. And I really appreciate your time too. Thanks for giving me space on your platform to talk to your really important audience as well. Oh, anytime. And thank you very much for the shout out. And I almost forgot what, where's the best place for folks to, uh, connect to. I know we referenced it a few times, so we'll make sure we put in the show notes. What's your preferred channel? LinkedIn, I'm guessing. I love to be on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm a little bit more personal and funny on Twitter, but I do some pretty odd stuff on LinkedIn, but you can definitely catch me there multiple times a day. Check out littlebirdmarketing.com. We do have a resources tab, tons of free resources. Go take them and use them and let us know if they've been successful for you. Not everybody is perfect to be our client, but we have written a lot of guides that would help other people DIY some things and just some things that they we've learned along the way that that they can crib. So definitely go check that out. And our podcast has a tab there too. It's Ponderings from the Perch. And we'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. And by the way, for the record, I think you have some of the best intro music. <laughs> you know what? That's funny. I love that. An employee wrote that, Leighton Cordell. He actually really? wrote that, whistled it, played it on the ukulele, and all happened right here in the studio. So I'll be sure to give him uh, the kudos. That's fantastic. So, <laughs> Priscilla, thank you again. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll we'll catch up with you soon. Mm-hmm.